Amen. Good morning. It is good to be with you. If you'll open up with me to uh, the the book of Luke, uh, we'll start in chapter 11. um, And uh, we're going to go through about 13 verses of Luke chapter 11. Um, We began today uh, with the Lord's Prayer, uh, something uh, most of us in this room have probably prayed countless times. Uh, And then the scripture reading came, and some of you might have said, wait, uh, this feels different than what we just uh, prayed earlier in the service, right? So the Lord's Prayer is housed right there in in Luke chapter 11, verses 2, 3, and 4. And and you might have thought to yourself, oh, what's going on? Uh, We'll get there. It's it's the other version of the Lord's Prayer, uh, the one that we don't typically say. Um, If you're wondering, the other one's found in Matthew 6. Uh, that's the one that we typically say together. Uh, however, before we begin, uh, I, uh, let's go to God in prayer, ask for his presence in this place, and that he might open his word to us this morning. Let's pray together. Father God, this morning we ask that you fill our hearts with your presence. That all the stuff that's in there that shouldn't be in there, that you blow your Holy Spirit through it and take out all of the distractions. Lord, whether that distraction be the sin that has built up in our life over this last week, weeks, months, whether that distraction be the thing that we're thinking about and that has Lord, whether that distraction be the thing that happened to us this morning on the way to church. God, may you give us the grace to put all of that aside, that we might stand in your presence this morning and hear a word, a word directly from the lips of Jesus Christ himself, his word, his red words right here, ready to speak to us. May we hear them loudly and clearly. Amen. Luke begins this way in chapter 11, and we're going to walk through the passage. And in my estimation, there's really kind of two 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 sides to this passage. There's the first half of it, and the first half of it has to do with Jesus teaching us to pray. It's a remarkable request, and he answers it, and he gives us something very clear, something very practical, very solid. And if you've ever wanted a practical sermon, maybe from me or from Jesus himself, well, here you go. It's it's right here. Uh, And then the second half of it he, uh, he, being, he begins to expand on his teaching of what prayer is and what's happening. And I think he actually flips the script at this point. And if the first half is dedicated to what you and I are doing, then the second half uh, turns it over and says, well, this is, the, uh, this is the posture of God himself. And this is how God uh, hears your prayer, how he responds to it, and what he's doing. And so I want to start with the first half, and then I want to move to the second half, and then I want to move back to the first half. So let's jump in. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, 
one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Before we move too quickly in the teaching us to pray, uh, especially parents out there, you got to notice something right off the bat. What happens? Jesus apparently is praying so regularly and in front of his disciples and in such a way that maybe they don't quite get it yet, but that they say to themselves, we don't know how to pray. Or we want our master, our rabbi, to teach us what that is like. And so they catch him, right? They catch him praying. And again, parents out there, uh, I, I would ask, what are the things that are, uh, your children are, are catching you doing? Would they ever come to you and say, Dad, Mom, teach me how to pray, right? So at our house, uh, we, we pray before most meals. And, uh, and I can remember all three of our kids at some point saying, I don't know how to pray. And it gives us this opportunity, right? It gives us this opportunity to say, well, here's what it can look like, and here's what prayer can be. And so he goes on, and they say, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. If you didn't know it, John the Baptist had his own disciples in the book of John. Uh, Some of those disciples even uh, transfer over to Jesus. And he said to them, when you pray, say... Now, if you read some commentaries, there's debate about, is he giving you a formula? Is he giving you an example? What exactly is Jesus giving us in this moment? And, And my estimation of it is that the Bible is actually filled with prayers. They're all over the place, especially if you turn to the book of Psalm. Like basically every Psalm is in some fashion a prayer. It's, it's David uh, crying out to God uh, and praying something. And these prayers look wildly different one from another. And so I don't know that Jesus is giving us a perfect formula that you must follow every single time. However, what he does give us is remarkable. One, because it's from the Son of God himself. And two, because there are some things in it that perhaps do get lost in the ways we pray typically today. He begins this way. Father, hallowed be your name. You'll notice that right out of the bat, um, Jesus is teaching us to pray in, in commands. <laughs> like telling God, Essentially, here's what to do, or, or at least what we want, what we're hoping for. And so whether it's hallowed be your name, or your kingdom come, these are commands of some kind, or give us, or forgive us, or lead us, right? Each of these is us telling God very clearly, this is, this is what we want, this is what we need. But it begins actually not with the needs and the wants, does it? It begins with, well, two things. It begins with Father. Father. And Jesus here teaches us to pray not as a slave to a master, not as uh, somebody who is uh, on the bottom of the totem pole uh, up to a king somewhere. He teaches us to pray as a child to a father. 
This is where the, the prayer begins. And this is actually where the parable of it all ends in verse 13. And the book ends of this, the father part of all of this, then should cause us to, to recast how we understand and how we approach our heavenly father. Because my guess is some of us would approach our own dads or moms differently than we would approach the God of the universe. And you probably should. <laughs> you probably should. However, there is a model here, right? That God is as close to us as a mother or father is. That he loves us even more dearly, is what he's going to say, than your own mother or father ever could. And there's something to this. But he begins with, it gets translated, hallowed be your name. Do you know what this word means, hallowed? Yes, it's a rumble, rumble, rumble. Uh, it means to make holy, right? He's essentially saying, let your name be holy, okay? And even that doesn't quite capture, that, that sounds strange, like, let, let your name be holy. That's not the sort of thing I would say to a friend or, or to a colleague or, or to uh, even like uh, if I met some emissary somewhere. If I, if I were to meet the president, I, I wouldn't walk up to him and say, uh, may your name be holy, right? Or may your name be anything for that matter, and yet, this is kind of, this is what Jesus is doing. He's saying, let your reputation abound. May everyone know the level of the holiness that is our God. May you be understood properly. May who you are, in your deepest sense, God, be understood by the world that is around us. It begins with holiness because that's the sense of the separation, the perfectness, the, but it also includes things like love and mercy and compassion as he'll come to at the end of this passage here. And he goes on. So if he starts with some form of, of praise like, and recognition of who God is, well, then he moves on to uh, the purpose and he says, your kingdom come, which, which gets back to what Jesus is doing there in the first place, why he's even on the earth. He's bringing in the kingdom, right? And he's reminding his disciples here, this is what we're all about. See, God's kingdom has been, in some sense, exiled from us, and the kingdoms of this world and the kingdoms of God, or the kingdom of God, is at war with one another and Jesus is saying our purpose here is to bring God's kingdom to this place, to redeem it all, that heaven and earth might be made anew and that God's kingdom might be made known. And so Jesus is here reminding his disciples, when you pray, have some purpose in mind of what it is we're doing here. Lord, your kingdom come. And then he moves on. And now, at this point, he begins the petitions. And he says, give us each day our daily bread, right? Give us each day our daily bread. 
the petitions include uh, a different set uh, of kinds of, of asks from God. This one is clearly like a, a physical ask, like food. We, we all need food. You'll notice, however, uh, the petition is not uh, give us our yearly supply of bread, right, as much as we might want to ask for that. It's not uh, give us a 401k filled with money so that we're okay in 25 years. Uh, so it's, a, it's a daily bread. It's a daily reliance on God, right? As, as uncomfortable as that makes many of us in this room here, that is what Jesus is teaching us to pray today. Let us worry about today what is in front of us today. Give us the bread we need here and now to make it from this hour to the time that I sleep. And then I'll wake up tomorrow and I'll pray the same thing. I'll be reliant on God one more time, one more day. And I will wake up and I say, God, I need my daily bread for today. I don't need tomorrow's bread. I don't need the next day's bread. I need today's bread. This is what Jesus is teaching us to pray. And then he moves on to another petition. He says, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our sins. Very different nature, huh? Right? So if the, if the first was, uh, God, we, we need you to take care of our physical needs, uh, the second is, God, we need you to take care of what's going on in here. Uh, my heart has been corrupted, and I need you to forgive me of the sins that have crept into my life. And we all need this, and we all pray this. Forgive us our sins. And then he adds this little caveat and it's like this sneaky little statement that Jesus puts in here to kind of remind us of the importance of the first phrase. Because sometimes I think, especially if you grow up in the church, you get used to asking for forgiveness. You get used to the fact that, oh, it's sitting there waiting for you, that forgiveness. And then Jesus connects to it. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. Right? And he links the two. Matthew, in, in Matthew's version I mentioned, Matthew has the fuller version of this, and, and there's all sorts of bits and pieces added to it. Luke has really scaled this down into a, a streamlined sort of prayer. And Matthew ends it all and says, you know what, if you don't forgive, you won't be forgiven either. He makes that point loud and clear. It's sitting here in Luke, it's just not quite as loud or in your face, but it's still there. Forgive us our sins, for we ourselves are forgiving everyone, everyone who is indebted to us. And indeed, may we be people who are forgiving people, who look around us and don't hold the grievances, but let those go, because we too know that we have needed forgiveness Countless times. And then lastly, lead us not into temptation. One final petition. God, don't lead us into temptation. Lead us away from temptation, right? Lead us in the other direction. Help us find a place where there is nothing that is coming at me that I can't handle. 
And so in this prayer, we see at least three things. We saw praise, and, and we saw uh, purpose, and, and we saw petitions. And when you pray, what does your prayer look like? What does your prayer life look like? One, I could ask the regularity of it. Are we praying something daily with regularity? Two, when you do pray, what does that look like? Is it simply sitting down and, and asking God for a host of things and, and forgetting the praise part or, or forgetting the purpose of it all? Is it simply petition? Is it petitions that are maybe a little out of control, that have no boundaries to them? So if that's our side of things, if this is Jesus teaching us, here's what your side looks like. He now pivots, right? He pivots to the God side. He pivots to the God side, and he begins this way, and he, he tells a parable, basically. He says, uh, says to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey, and I've got nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, don't bother me. The door's shut, and my children are in bed with me. I can't get up and anything. Just uh, a little bit of clarity here. Uh, this is when I, I love nothing more than a good, uh, solid, ancient context. Right? <laughs> like, this isn't the sort of thing you're going to get today. You're not gonna, a neighbor's not just going to walk up at midnight, knock on your door, and you're going to be like, hey, the kids are in my bed. Uh, I can't come to the door right now. Um, no, they're probably going to go to Walmart or to, to Giant. They're going to fix their own problem, right? That's not their world. They're in a world where they're reliant on one another on a daily, regular basis. They're also probably not going to have a friend just pop in right, and say, hey, I need to stay with you a few days. I've been traveling. Can I show up? No, uh, their friend's going to text them in advance and say, at the very least, uh, hey, uh, broken down car. Uh, I'm actually coming in this evening. Is there any way I could stay with you? And then plans could be made in advance. If they didn't do that, it would be considered rude today. This situation is not rude at all. It's actually the norm because there are no texting, right? there, there's no email, there's no phones, there's no way to, uh, to get the message out well in advance. There's just simply showing up, right? And so you might have a situation, someone shows up at your door, midnight, knocks on your door and says, hey, I need a place to stay. And by the way, I've been traveling all day and I haven't had any food. In their context, the very next thing you do is you demonstrate hospitality, right? Hospitality. And you, you welcome them in. Like, there's all sorts of stories in the Bible. You welcome in the stranger, but you also definitely welcome in your friend. And then you give them something to drink and something to eat and a place to sleep, right? And you do a, this is the world they live in. Unfortunately for this person, he didn't have his, his house ready, and he didn't have the supplies, he didn't have the bread made. He hadn't been to the baker that day, apparently. And so he has to go to his neighbor and knock on his neighbor's door. Now, what the neighbor does here is, all, is actually inappropriate. It's, it's rude, 
because the neighbor knows the rules of hospitality. And the neighbor knows that if my friend needs me because his friend needs him, well, then I better help out. But this neighbor doesn't do that. This neighbor says what? He says, sorry, I'm in bed, and my kids are in bed with me, which, by the way, is not weird in this world. Uh, they are all sleeping in the same bedroom, the husband, the wife, the kids, the whole family. They're all in there, and they're all tucked in, and the guy's saying, I don't want to wake everybody up. <laughs> I don't want to wake everybody up. It's, uh, our house is closed up. You know, go somewhere else. And Jesus, and the story goes on, and he says this, I tell you, though this guy is not going to get up and give him anything because he is his friend, right? He's not going to do the friendly thing. He's not going to do his part in being hospitable and being a good friend to this other man. Yet, because of his impudence, is, is the ESV here, if you don't know what that word means, it's, uh, it's his essentially like shamelessness or, or his persistence or his, if he just keeps knocking on his door, right? Well, then it says, then he will rise up and give him whatever he needs. Bit of an odd parable if you're comparing God to the uh, to the friend who's not being hospitable, right? But not entirely, because Jesus' point is this. He's saying that even if you have a friend who's not doing what he should, he's not helping you out even though he should, if you are persistent enough and you knock on his door enough and you wake all that family up, he will eventually get up and he's going to give you those loaves of bread that you were asking for. He's going to give you what you need. And Jesus' point is, your heavenly father is not like that at all. God is waiting for you. He's ready for you to knock on that door. He's ready for you to ask He's just sitting there with a banquet of food ready to lavish it upon you. And he says this, I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. This sitting right in the middle of it all, 9 and 10, these two verses get at the heart of the name of who God is in terms of your prayer life. You have a God who is waiting on you to seek and to knock and to ask. And the question is, are we? Is that what we're doing? Are we abiding by these words? Or are we just trying to go it alone? Or are we, are we up in the middle of the night trying to bake some, some bread really quickly because uh, we, we don't want to bother you know, the man next door? Or maybe in this case, the man above. <laughs> I don't know. And then he tells one more parable. 
it's not so much a parable. It gets back to the father piece, right? And he says this in verse 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? This is a great question, right? Uh, For those of you who are parents in the crowd, like if your child comes to you and says, I need this thing, I I need a fish, and who knows why, what the fish is for, I I assume it's for eating, right? Uh, Maybe he's starting a fish farm, though, I don't know. It's probably for eating, right? And instead of giving him the fish, you know what? I'm going to give him a serpent, right? Welcome to the world, son. It's a hard place. Uh, No, no father does that sort of thing. And then he finishes out, he rounds it out. He says, or if he asks for an egg, he gives him a scorpion. And, And then he says, if this is how you are able to treat your own children... You who are evil, (laughs) ouch, thanks Jesus, you who do evil things, who, who do some bad things, who need to pray the prayer, forgive us our sins. If you're capable of giving your children good gifts that they're asking for, it says, how much more than the Heavenly Father? Right? If your father or your mother is capable of giving good gifts to their children, well then how much more does your heavenly father want to do this exact thing to you? Jesus invites us deep into the metaphor of God as father, right? If you thought it was just like some sort of metaphor out there, no, he, he, he welcomes you thinking in those terms of, well, how would a father treat a child? What sort of love and compassion and desire to give good gifts? What flows out of the heavenly father? But then there's like one little piece here that we shouldn't miss. And in some ways, it, it, it drives us to think a little differently about the sorts of things we're praying for. He says, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Did you catch it? Like, so the ask here isn't just for you know, a great job or a really nice house somewhere or or a, a cool new car, or, I don't know, something lavish. The ask is pretty specific. It's, it's for the Holy Spirit, right? Will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? I am of the mind that Jesus and the Father... They're not the fathers who enable things like greed or gluttony, right? A loving father in this life wouldn't enable greed or gluttony. And so if their child comes to them and says, I need more, I need more, I need more, at some point that father is going to say, this is, I I know you think you need that, right? Uh, But sometimes you don't get what you want, (laughs) 
you get what you need, right? Uh, and someone else has a, a much better idea of what needs and wants are than maybe you do. And so also, the Heavenly Father, he does not enable your greed or your gluttony or any other sin, just like a loving father shouldn't. But he will meet the needs and he will offer the Holy Spirit uh, at uh, any time and to anyone who so asks. As I was preparing for today, I, um, I kept looking back at the Matthew passage, right? The Matthew 6 one, the one that we recited earlier in the service. And, and it's fuller, and it has these other little details that are kind of fun. And, and yet I kept coming back to Luke, and I loved the simplicity of Luke. I mean, Luke really just... It's like this, and then this, and then, you know, one, two, three, four, five, prayer's done, right? Uh, there's a few things, however, in Matthew worth noting. And one of them is that, um, that in Matthew, Jesus says, you know what, you don't need to pray long prayers. In fact, those Gentiles, they're the ones who pray the super long prayers uh, in order to get noticed, he says, just keep it simple. And in Matthew 6, verse 8, he specifically says, your father knows what you need before you ask it. Right? Your father knows what you need before you ask it. This, of course, sets up a very interesting philosophical debate about the nature of prayer. Why pray at all? If God knows what we need, won't God just give us what we need? Who is prayer for? Is prayer for us convincing God that he needs to give us something? Or, as some have suggested, is prayer actually for us to be convinced that we need something and to reflect on our own situation? I'm actually going to suggest it is worth entertaining the idea that prayer is as much an exercise in changing our own hearts and who we are and reflecting on who we should be and petitioning the sorts of things that we should be desiring and transforming our own spirits as it is asking God to lavish gifts upon us. And so if we think about the Lord's Prayer in this sense, it, it actually drives us back to it, which is the third and final act in this sermon, is to read this prayer in terms of if we were to say this daily, if we were to mean it daily, or say prayers like this daily, how would it change us? What would it do to us? It would begin like this, Father, your name is holy. Father, your name is holy. And on those days where you're not so sure his name is holy, you're still saying the words, Father, your name is holy. And I know it, and I might not feel it in this moment, but I know it's true because I've lived long enough and I've seen enough of life to know that you are a holy Father. 
And by adding this to a routine prayer life, in this moment, it's not doing anything to God. I'm not making God more holy by praying this prayer, but I am recentering my own heart in this moment. And I'm saying, God, I need to be the kind of person who recognizes your holiness that I too might be holy. Your kingdom come. Your kingdom come. On good days, you're right along with that, and you're saying, yes, God, your kingdom come. I want to be there too. I'm ready to lead the charge. Make me a general. And then on other days, you're just kind of like, I I don't know. I'm not so sure about this whole thing. If by saying, your kingdom come, does this change God's plans somehow? Does his kingdom come any faster because you pray, your kingdom come? Maybe, but probably not. But you know what it does change? is your own purpose in your heart. It changes you. That you might desire the kingdom, even on the bad days, Definitely on the good days. That your desire for the kingdom and the redemption of the world and the presence of God among all people, well, that is something that begins to change and shape who you are. Give us each day our daily bread. Again, Do I need to ask God for my daily bread? Maybe. Maybe he gives me that bread in that moment. Maybe he's just waiting and he's going to give it to you in that moment. But you know what else it does? If you're doing this on a daily basis, it's shaping you to recognize what? That every time you sit down to eat, every moment you sit at that lunch table or that dinner table and you have that plate before you, the first thing you say is, thank God, because this is the daily bread that I prayed for. This is the food that came straight from the hand of God. Maybe the second thing you say is, I worked really hard for this food. (laughs) But first, you're saying, this is bread that came to me from God's bounty, from his sustenance. And I am reliant on God to to get that bread on the table tomorrow and the next day and the next day. And it keeps us in a posture toward God of humility and recognition of where all good gifts come from. For we find, oh, uh, verse 4, forgive us our sins. Good grief. I, I, I actually hope that is a daily prayer of yours. Forgive us our sins. Sin's a wily thing. Um, sometimes it's blindingly obvious and it smacks you across the face. And then sometimes it sneaks up on you. You don't even know it's there until somebody else comes along and points it out to you. And so we regularly need to be the sort of people who are petitioning God, saying, God, forgive us of our sins. Now, does that unlock God's mercy upon us? Does that unlock God's forgiveness upon us? Maybe, 
Maybe it does, actually. But you know what it also does? Is if it's a daily practice, it's an open and regular repetition of the fact that I need mercy in this life. I need God's forgiveness in this life. Not just like once a year on the Day of Atonement or something like that. I need it daily. I need God to come in and to forgive me so that I can march forward in his grace. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us. As I already said, this is kind of Jesus' little aside here, just reminding us. There's no ask in that, right? It's just an aside. Just like we're asking you, God, well, so also we're delivering to the people who are around us. Forgiveness, mercy, and grace. And lastly, do not lead us into temptation. It's worth asking, would God ever lead you into temptation? Probably not. Surely not, right? Would I need to ask God, don't lead me into temptation? And him answer that. I don't want to say an emphatic no, but a probably not is sufficient. However, if on a daily basis, I'm thinking of prayer as something that changes God's heart as it changes my heart, and I'm praying, Lord, lead me not into temptation, well, then suddenly my heart is being changed into the person who does not want to be led into temptation by God or whomever. And I'm willing to put aside and to run from all of those things in my life that bring me down, that bring me towards sin and away from God. So, to finish up, the question is, in your life, what does your prayer life look like? Is there any regularity to it? Is there any pattern to the prayers that you offer? And do you find in your own life that your prayers somehow influence you, affect you, change you, shape your spirituality such that you are indeed increasingly reliant upon God, such that you are saying, God, you are holy, and praising his name more regularly, saying uh, things like, may your kingdom come, and, and repurposing our own lives in light of his purposes, and petitioning him toward the things of God, the things that he desires from us, things like reliance on him for our daily bread, things like forgiveness of our sins of others, and the fleeing from temptation. Is that what your prayer life looks like? If not, there's always time to change. Let's pray right now. God, our Father in heaven, you love us in a way that is really hard to comprehend. You love us in the good times and the bad. 
you love us in the times where we are both uh, filled with your, your uh, spirit and presence, and you love us in the times where we doubt and where we run and we lead ourselves into temptation. But God, you love us enough to send your son, Jesus Christ, to rescue us from that situation. God, may we be people who live into the gospel of Jesus Christ. May we be people who pray the prayers that you have taught us to pray. May we praise your name regularly, whether we feel like it or not. May we find purpose in you, and may we petition you in the ways that you have taught us to, toward your ends, toward the things of God. I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.